You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series on the Old Testament prophet Elijah that Howard Hendricks presented at Founders Week 1968. Howard Hendricks was a popular pastor, author, conference speaker, and longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, here is Howard Hendricks on Today in the Word Radio. If you were asked to choose a pattern as an inspiration for your prayer life, it is unlikely that you would select Elijah. After all, you might quite reasonably argue Elijah was a mighty prophet of God, and I am not. Elijah was a mighty worker of miracles, and I certainly am not. Somehow we have managed to wrap Elijah in the mantle of supernaturalism with the result that he is unapproachable. He's in another leg. But it is not thus that the New Testament remembers him. May I invite you to turn first to the epistle of James. James chapter 5 and verse 17, a highly instructive and illuminating passage of Scripture. May I remind you of two things concerning James? In the first place, James has more to say about the doctrine of prayer than any other New Testament epistle. The book is drenched with the doctrine. May I also remind you that James was nicknamed by the early church Camel Knees. So calloused were his knees from incessant praying. You see, when the Holy Spirit wants to teach us the doctrine of prayer, he selects a practitioner, not a theorist. Doctrine is dynamic. Truth is designed not to satisfy your curiosity, but to overhaul your experience. But the question nags, who was it that motivated camel needs? Who turned him on? Who was the pattern he would select? Verse 17 provides the answer. Out of all of the possibilities, we read, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. Will you mark the descriptive epithet which the apostle employs to describe Elijah? The word of God does not say 
Elijah was a mighty prophet of God, and he prayed. It does not say Elijah was a mighty worker of miracles, and he prayed. It says Elijah was a man of like passion. He was cut out of the same bolt of human cloth. He had problems. He had perplexities. He had fears. He had doubts. He had frustrations. But he prayed. That's what made him different. That's why camel knees selects him as his paragon for prayer. I believe the New Testament is saying to us that if Elijah is like us in our passions, we may be like him in our prayers. With this biblical backdrop, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 18 where we see Elijah in communication. There are three characteristics of Elijah's prayer life which I trust the Spirit of God will weave into the fabric of our experience. First, I want you to note in verses 41 and 42 the earnestness of his prayer. Now mark a relationship. God had promised that it would rain. Will you turn back in chapter 18 to verse 1, where we read, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. God promised to send rain. Then why pray? My friends, prayer is the hand of faith that translates promise into performance. God not only ordains the end, He also ordains the means. It is not a question of coming to a reluctant God in an attempt to persuade him to do what he really does not want to do in the first place. It is a matter of coming to God with a consciousness that we are dependent individuals. You see, prayer is the realization that your need is not partial, it's total. Shortly after I became a Christian, someone wrote in the flyleaf of my Bible this couplet. When I try, I fail. When I trust, he succeeds. There is a world of theology in that couplet. The Christian life is not a matter of trying. 
It is a matter of trusting. It is a recognition that the believing life is not difficult. It's impossible apart from supernatural invasion. I read in verse 41, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And I want to stop here for a moment to anticipate something. We are going to read in a subsequent verse that there were no clouds in the sky. Now, my friend, how can you hear a sound of abundance of rain when there is not a cloud in the sky? That's the year of faith. The year of faith hears when you cannot see. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, mark the contrast, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Now the text mentions the posture. I think not because this is to be the pattern, but because the posture is outward evidence of inward earnestness. You remember our Lord when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, prostrated himself on the ground when he cried, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. His position was a reflection of the attitude of his heart. In that passage we looked at in James 5, James says he prayed earnestly. Quite literally translated, he prayed in his prayer. That's a good word. Very few of us do. Isn't it refreshing to encounter a new convert and to listen to him pray? Not long ago, we led a man to Christ through our home Bible class ministry. Came to know the Lord on Thursday evening. And in the follow-up session, we said, Really, the purpose of this class has been fulfilled in your life. It's designed to lead you to the Savior. We would encourage you to come to our church where you can build on this foundation. So he showed up Sunday morning. Sunday morning, the pastor announced that we would have an evening service. So this man didn't know enough to stay home. He showed up. The evening, the pastor announced that we would have prayer meeting and Bible study on Wednesday. So he didn't know enough not to come. He showed up. 
And after the prayer, after the Bible study, we were going to the prayer session, and he turned to me and he said, uh, Say, Holly, do you think they'd mind if I prayed? I said, of course not. That's what we're here for. You know, he said, but I've got a problem. I said, what's your problem? He, he said, I, I can't pray the way you people do. I said, friend, that's no problem. Thank God for that. <laughs> but, you know, after a while, he'll learn the cliches and the jargon, and he'll be able to say prayers like the rest of us. He came into this prayer meeting as if he were sitting on a crate of eggs. Number prayed, and finally I put my hand over on his thigh to encourage him. And I'll never forget his prayer. He said, Lord, this is Jim. <laughs> he said, I'm the one that met you last Thursday night. He said, forgive me, Lord, because I can't say it the, rest, the way the rest of these people do. But I want to tell you the best I know how. I love you, Lord. Amen. And he ignited a prayer meeting. We were doing a fantastic job scraping the Milky Way. He prayed. Someday I'm going to write a book on things my children have taught me about theology. A good many years ago now, a scholar was visiting in my home. The reason I know he was a scholar is he told me three times. happened to come over the mealtime and our family worship time, and so I invited him to join us. My children were quite small at the time, and in typical childlike fashion, they thanked Jesus for the tricycle and the sandbox and the fence, and I could tell this was rotting this boy's socks. Could scarcely wait to get me into the living room. He said, Professor Hendricks, you don't mean to tell me that you teach in a theological seminary and you teach your children to pray for things like that. I said, Oh, yes, I certainly do. I said, Do you ever pray about your Ford? I knew he did. He was riding mostly on faith and fabric. Oh, yes, he said, I certainly do. I said, what made you think your Ford was more important to God than my boy's tricycle? I said, do you ever pray for protection? Oh, he said, Brother Hendricks, I never go on the highways, but what I pray for protection. <laughs> I said, that's what my boy's thanking Jesus for when he thanks him for the fence, because that fence keeps out those great big dogs on the other side. You know what our problem is, my friends? Our problem is most of us are educated beyond our intelligence. <laughs> it's refreshing to have a new convert move into our midst, or a child who in simplicity and earnestness of heart 
cries out to God. God delights to react to the earnestness of a believing heart. But I want you to note in verses 42, uh, 43 and 44, a second characteristic of this man's prayer life, and that's the expectation of his prayer. If you have a pencil or a pen, will you underline three statements in three verses? It's the story of an answer to prayer. In verse 43, underline the statement, there is nothing. In verse 44, there ariseth a little cloud. Verse 45, there was a great rain. Nothing, a little cloud, a great rain. And the key, Elijah goes expectantly. He said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, nothing. What tremendous encouragement. Sends the servant again and he comes back, nothing, like a wet blanket. Will you look at the next statement? And he said, and this should be translated, and he said seven times, go again, go again, again, again. My friend, most of us would have thrown in the towel a long time before this. Suppose he had on the sixth time. But in expectant faith, he sends the servant out to scan the skies because he's looking for something. My friends, if you expect nothing, you'll be seldom disappointed. You turn with me for just a moment over to the book of Acts. We mentioned there is a great deal of humor in the Bible. Here's another choice case in point. Acts chapter 12, I want to read verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Lord, Deliver Peter. God answers their prayer. Verse 12, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. For what? His deliverance. And as Peter continued to knock at the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda, and when she saw Peter's voice, she opened not the door for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. you get the picture? His little gal who looks out through the hatch. Good night, it's Peter. She's so excited, she forgets to open the door. She runs back. Hey, Peter's out there. And they stood to sing the hallelujah chorus. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. No, they said unto her, Lady, you're mad. But she was a persistent woman. This persistent woman constantly affirmed that it was so. Can't you even visualize the scene as this dear gal said, Look, I saw him. No, not Peter. You're seeing things, just like a woman. She wouldn't be put down with that. Oh, they came up with a more profound theological answer. Oh, well, then it's his angel. <laughs> Friend, they weren't praying for his angel to be delivered. But fortunately, the answer to their prayer kept knocking. Peter continued knocking, and if I know Peter, about this time it must have been awfully hard. <laughs> and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. That's the most mild translation I can think of. The Greek te text says, if you translate it as literally as you could, they were dumbfounded, knocked out. Now, before you crawl all over them, suppose when you went out the auditorium today, somebody came to you and said, you know what you've been praying for for 22 years? Say, yes, sir. The great burden of my heart. You have the answer. I what? The Lord answered your prayer. Don't put me on. No. Your loved one received Christ as a Savior. Oh, you must have somebody else in mind. Is his name Bill? Right. He's saved. Let me see him. Oh, may Elijah's tribe increase. God said it will rain. In fact, I can hear it. Go look for it. Nothing. Go look again. Nothing. It's coming. Look. And it came. My wife and I began a procedure I would strongly recommend to any parent here today. I did not come from a Christian home background, so I had no idea of what went on in family worship. And when we formed our family and our children came along, my wife and I took a little loose-leaf notebook. And on this side, we wrote, we asked. And on this side, we wrote, he answers. You know, my friends, I wouldn't trade anything for this little book in terms of what it enabled me to do to teach my children the theology of prayer. 
to teach them different aspects of expectation. With Elijah and often with us, there is the clear-cut yes. God said this, that's what he does. What an exciting thing for a child. We have a lovely family in our community, and man was in business, but he felt God was compelling him into vocational Christian work, so he sold his business at a loss and entered the, Christian, the form of Christian service to which the Lord had called him. And things got rather rough financially. One night, Timmy, the youngest of four boys, when asked, do you have any prayer requests? Said, Daddy, do you think Jesus would mind if I ask him for a shirt? He said, of course not, Timmy. So they wrote in their little prayer request book, shirt for Timmy. Mom added, size seven. So you can be sure every night Timmy saw to it that they prayed for the shirt. Don't forget, Mommy, let's pray for the shirt. Every night they prayed for it for weeks. And one day the mother of the home was doing the cleaning. She received a telephone call from a Christian businessman, a clothier in downtown Dallas, who said, I've just completed our July clearance sale. Knowing that you have four boys, it occurred to me that I have something you might use. Could you use some boys' shirts? She said, what sign? (laughs) Size seven. How many do you have? She said, I have 12 of them. 12 of them. What would you do? Well, most of us as parents would take the shirts and stuff them in the bureau drawer and make some casual comment to the child. Not this enlightened family. That night is expected. Don't forget, Mommy, let's pray for the shirt. So we don't have to pray for a shirt, Timmy. The Lord answered your prayer. He has. Right? It's previously arranged. Tommy goes out, gets a shirt, brings it in, puts it on the table, Timmy's eyes are like saucers. Tommy goes out, gets another shirt, (laughs) brings it in. Out, back, out, back, till he piles 12 shirts on the table and Timmy thinks God's going into the shirt business. (laughs) Do you know, my friends, there is a little boy in Dallas today by the name of Timothy that believes there is a God in heaven interested enough in a boy's needs to provide a shirt. Do your kids know that? Do you know that in an affluent society? Sometimes we have had to write no. Say, have you come to appreciate with expectation the Lord's no's? They are just as much an answer as a yes. My wife and I prayed for two additional children. And God appeared to answer that prayer until at the time of their birth, they were both born dead. And I can still remember coming home, my four kids at the door saying, Hey, Daddy, what is it, a boy or a girl? 
And I take my four kids over to our little divan and get our little book out and write no in it. My friends, you will communicate more in one experience like this than 20 dozen sermons on the subject of prayer. You are coming through at the level at which the child can understand. Problem often is whether we get the message. Sometimes we are expecting by waiting. There are some of those things on that list that have been there ever since we started. One of them is the salvation of my father. My father is a retired military officer. Shortly before his retirement, he flew down to Dallas to see us. And, of course, my kids were so excited. Boy, granddaddy's coming. Hope he'll wear this uniform. Boy, when he appeared in the doorway with his uniform and all of the varied colored badges he had on, my youngest kid took off. And when my father got to the bottom of the ramp, he threw his arms around him, and just as I caught up with him, I overheard him say, Hey, Granddaddy, do you know Jesus yet? My father said, uh, No, son, I'm afraid I can't say I do. Well, you will pretty soon, because we're praying for you. (laughs) And when my father comes to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, and I am convinced he will, I am equally convinced it will be the product of the faith of my children, who have consistently and expectantly prayed for his salvation. Am I talking to someone here today? Someone listening in? Who has been praying for many years, perhaps for the salvation of a loved one. May I encourage you this morning on the authority of the word of God, go to the brow of the hill again and look. My Savior said, keep on asking, and ye shall receive. Keep on seeking, and ye shall find. Keep on knocking, and it shall be open to you. But ask and seek and knock with expectancy. In verses 45 and 46... I want you to underscore the third characteristic of this man's prayer life. That is the effect of his prayer. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. There is a twofold effect described in this passage. There is, first of all, the effect of his prayer upon the land. This was no light trickle. This was no soft summer shower enough to moisten the land, but not to satisfy the drought. This was a great rain that broke the prolonged drought. May I say in passing... 
We are living in spiritually arid conditions. We are surrounded by desert. And God is still looking for a man and a woman who is able to bring down the refreshing rain to break the spiritual drought. But I also read in verse 46, there was a great effect upon this man. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. My friends, this man himself emerges from the experience with a new dynamic, and the hand of God was upon him. Oh, that this might continually characterize my life. Do you hunger for this? I cannot think of any greater testimony than the testimony the hand of God was upon this individual. That's the secret. The hand of God was upon him because he knew how to lay hold of the throne of God in prayer. There is a principle here that I would remind you of, and that is great praying brings great blessing. Elijah's prayer was great, not because of its language, not because of its length, and certainly not because of its loudness. It was great because it was earnest, it was expectant, and it was invested in the living God. But it's a dangerous thing to pray. Elijah had learned that. He prayed that it might not rain. The answer to his prayer constituted a drying brook. The disciples learned that. The Lord said, there's no problem in the harvest. The problem is a shortage of laborers, and I want you to pray about it. The interesting thing is the very men he asked to pray about it were the men he pressed into service. When I was a boy, I heard Dr. L. L. Legters, great Bible teacher of the last generation. Some of you older folk will remember him. Frankly, I do not remember very much that he said, but I have never forgotten an illustration he used. He said that on one occasion he was a pastor of a church and he had $50 in his pocket. Now, what a pastor of a church would be doing with $50 in his pocket, I'll never know. He's walking down the street and met one of the missionaries, home on furlough, who said, Dr. Lecters, I think it's providential that we met. We're having an urgent prayer meeting at the church. We'd love to have you join us. He said, Fine. Dr. Lecters was a somewhat brusque type of individual, so before they went to prayer, he said, now let's not pray out of ignorance, let's pray out of intelligence. Exactly what is it that you need? Well, they said, Dr. Lecters, we have an urgent financial need. We need $50. Fine, let's pray. So they prayed. They went all the way around the circle, and when they got through, one of the missionaries said, you know, Dr. Lecters, I don't feel that we've really laid hold of the Lord in this. Let's pray some more. Fine, let's pray again. Around he went the second time. 
The third time around, Legter said, God said to him, Legters, what about the $50 in your pocket? So he stopped the lady right in the middle of her prayer. He said, hold it, lady. <laughs> said, God answered your prayer. Said, he has. Put his finger, hands down in his pocket, pulled out this $50 bill and put it on the table. And there's a little kid sitting up in the, near the front of the auditorium. I can still remember a long, bony finger coming out over the pulpit as he said, Ladies and gentlemen, it's a dangerous thing to pray. It still is. Don't ever pray, my friend, unless you want to get involved. Don't ever pray unless you are personally committed because the answer to your prayer may demand a beginning with you. It's still true. James also said it. You have not because you ask not. And you ask and receive not because you ask it amiss. You ask it without earnestness, without expectation. I want to ask you a question. I have been asking myself this question for some time now. How do you account for the fact that the one area in your Christian experience in which you are constantly bombed out is your prayer life. My friends, that is not an accident. That's the product of cultivation. The older I become in the faith, the more impressed I am with the subtlety of Satan. Whenever he fogs, he always fogs in the area of the crucial, never in the area of the trivial. Satan doesn't mind your witnessing as long as you don't pray. Because he knows if you do not that it is far more important to talk to God about men than it is to talk to men about God. Satan doesn't mind your studying the scriptures as long as you don't pray. For then the word will never get into your life. Then you will simply develop a severe case of spiritual pride, and he loves that. Satan doesn't mind you becoming compulsively active in your local church or in some form of Christian work. Just so you don't pray. For then you will be active, but you will not accomplish anything. Will you turn with me for just a closing illustration to the Gospel by Mark? Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. There are only 52 recorded days in the life of our Lord in the Gospel. And in Mark chapter 1, you have one of the busiest recorded days in the life of our Lord. 
It was a day that was crowded with the performance of miracles, with teaching, healing, and no one except the person who has sustained a public ministry has any idea of the drain of people upon an individual. Pastor, you often have someone say, by the way, Pastor, what do you do all week? You know, you only preach twice on Sunday, once during the week. And, you know, you have the gift of speech. I'd like to take any individual and place him in a pulpit for one service where he is emoting under the Spirit of God. And he'll get an altogether different perspective of the cost in terms of physical and emotional energy. Now look at verse 35. And in the morning. What morning? Why, the morning after the busiest recorded day in the life of our Lord. Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus Christ who had unbroken fellowship and communion with a father, needed to pray, what must my need be? What must your need be? But so high on his priority list, his intercourse with the infinite God, that after a busy day of service, he rises a great while before day, goes to a solitary place there to pray. Ladies and gentlemen, the work of God today in many areas is languishing. Not for lack of divine power, but for lack of human prayer. You fight You war, you bicker, you complain, you scheme, you do everything in the world, James says. But you have not, because you ask not. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message on the Old Testament prophet Elijah that Howard Hendricks presented at Founders Week 1968. Howard Hendricks was a popular pastor, author, conference speaker, and longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.